apart through the, to, to, to add to agreement what we believe God is doing in our church family. We believe that the Lord in his sovereign will and his sovereign grace is choosing to agitate and to stir the people of First Assembly of God. Those are genuine words that many of us do pray. Father, if you're looking for a people. The, where do you say, Pastor Brown, where do you get that? Second Chronicles says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro in all the earth. Searching for someone that he may show himself strong on their behalf. So we've said that in our own private devotions. We prayed that individually. But now we're starting to pray it corporately and say, God, if you're looking for a people, if you're looking for a people to visit, if you're looking to do something uh, that, that is unique, perhaps out of the ordinary, then, God, you can agitate the people of First Assembly of God. And we're just trying to let him have his way. We don't know what that always will curtail. We don't know what that always will look like. You can take snapshots of what you believe revival should look like, but that doesn't mean that's the way God wants to do it. You can read books that have been written from great revivals of days gone by, and then the moment that you try to recreate that, you'll find yourself exasperated and frustrated because God said, I'll do a new thing among you. And so we have to allow him to do this. And so today's message is a message that I've preached at this church family many long years ago. But throughout the course of this week, it certainly it began to stir in my heart. And I knew it was the direction to add my agreement to the things that are taking place. We're only going to read a few verses of Scripture today to start off with. And if you would, would you stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God today? And we're going to read first beginning, and they'll put it, JoJo will put it on the screen. Uh, Elijah will put it on the screen. That's awesome, and I appreciate uh, the child labor that we have here in our church family. Uh, so I, I appreciate them very, very much. I, I, I tell the truth, it is, you know, I remember years ago as you're turning to your passage of Scripture, Years ago, I had two moments in the, in the, in the lifespan of my son, Anthony, where I, I teared up. One was I was actually refereeing a fifth-grade basketball game at Shirley, and he actually made a bona fide move where I was refereeing. You know, a genuine basketball move right in front of my eyes, and I had to whistle my mouth, and I kind of teared up just a little bit there on the side. And secondly, one day, I was in the house watching him mow the yard on the riding lawnmower for the very first time. Now, I know y'all don't really catch what I say. That I, Let me say it again. I was in the house on a hot summer day, and he was on the mower outside. And so, that come on, that was, a, that was a good thing right there. So, Sherry and I did get a letter from him yesterday, by the way. So, he's two weeks in into Naval Officer Training School. So, continue to remember him in prayer. Here it says in Deuteronomy chapter number 32, I'll expound these verses of Scripture, connect the dots here in a few moments. But Jeshurun... Is waxed fat and kicked. Thou art a waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Now, as a result, this I don't want to read the latter portion because I'm only going to use this as uh, the uh, analogy in a minute. I'm not taking it and applying it to its original context, but it just says that thou art waxed fat, grown thick, covered with fatness. Now we're going to go to Isaiah chapter number 10. And we're going to read a familiar passage of Scripture here today. It's a one verse of Scripture, but in Pentecostalism, it's a verse of Scripture that is often quoted or expressed. And uh, today we're going to hopefully add some clarification to it. Here it says in verse 27 of the 10th chapter of the book of Isaiah, the prophet writes, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck. 
and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. I want to read that one more time because that is actually going to be the title of today's message. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Now we're going to go to Ephesians and we're going to read two verses there and then two verses or one or two verses in the book of First John. That's going to conclude our scripture reading and we're going to do our very best to take uh, the needle of instruction and weave these passages of scripture together. Here in Ephesians chapter number 3, verse number 16 is a familiar verse of scripture to many of us and I want to read it today. I love this verse of scripture. It says that he being God would grant you, that's us, according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the in the inner man. Let's read it together. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. In the 20th verse, the same context says, now unto him that is able to do. This is what God is able to do. Every thought that you have, every imagination that you have, every prayer that you pray, God said, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Isn't that powerful? But look at the end of this. It says, according to the power that worketh in us. According to the power, there's a power at work within us. God said, I'm able to do exceedingly. You know, the Bible says in another place, the arm of the Lord is not shortened. The ear of the Lord is not deafened. God is still able to hear and he is still able to do. I think the problem often lies within us. Do we challenge ourselves to believe? Jesus uh, reproved the disciples of his day because they did not believe. I want to be found guilty of believing, don't you? I don't want to limit God whatever situation that I'm in in life, whatever situation that you're in in life. I just want to be able to trust that God is able to work in me, come on somebody, according to his good pleasure, and even exceed the ability that I have to contemplate of his ability to work on my behalf. Now, 1 John chapter number 2, I think I said verse number 26 and 27. I love the 26th verse because it sets the context John said, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. How many know there's a lot of things, a lot of individuals, a lot of systems that are trying to seduce the people of God, to lead us into seduction and deception. The Bible warns us in the latter days of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils are not always found in soothsaying, witchcraft. Sometimes it's political leaders. Sometimes it is instructors in our schools. Sometimes it's your co-workers. Demonic spirits will use anybody and everybody to produce seduction, to lead us astray as the serpent beguiled Eve and she fell prey to seduction. But we have something that can keep us and prevent us and that will lead us in the light and not into darkness. What is that? The 27th verse says... But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. Come on, somebody. Let's say that. I like that. I like to say it. But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. And ye have need not that any man teach you. That doesn't mean you should leave because you don't need the instructor. But that means we're not going to be totally dependent upon a man to lead us into truth because we have an indwelling Holy Spirit. As the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Glory to God. Amen. So you say, Pastor Brown, here in a moment of time will you begin to make application. You've read from five different writers or four different writers. And uh, is there a way that we can connect this? I believe that there is. And we're going to ask the Lord to help us today. We're going to extract the title of our message from that which was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet. 
Isaiah said as he contemplated the yoke of the Assyrians upon the people of Israel, he said, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. So today, I want to talk to you of the anointing that destroys the yoke. Come on, somebody. The anointing that destroys the yoke. Let's stir it up already. The Bible says stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Come on, somebody. God's not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. There's an anointing upon. There's an anointing within. We're looking for the anointing that will break the yoke today. Father, we love you, and we're thankful for this privileged opportunity to have read the Word of God. The people are attentive. They are responsive. They're ready, Father. This moment has been created by the foresight and by the foreknowledge of God. You've determined that a people needed a word, so you sent a preacher down the mountain, Father God, with the Word in his spirit to deliver to the people. God, today let Jesus be glorified, and whatever yokes may be present in our lives, let us have an understanding of the potential that we have in Christ that will break every yoke. It's in Jesus' name and Everybody said amen, and you can be seated today. Just very quickly, I want to take a moment of time to, again, you know, I'm a context-oriented preacher. I like to put you in a certain context. I want you to understand sometimes the original language, the original context of the author's in doing so, let me just say this. I am so grateful for the Word of God. What do I mean by that? The Bible says that the Word of God is sharp and powerful. One translation said it's a living and active. It is the mind of God. It's that what God has given us to illuminate his person, his character. It's filled with the context of redemption. Man was wayward, driven eastward out of a garden called Eden, but there God had promised that there would come a fateful day in the history of mankind when the seducer, the, the, the serpent that had beguiled Eve, would face the wrath of one who would come born of the woman whose heel would crush the head of the serpent. And it was a prophesying of redemption. And redemption is the story of the book from Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus Christ is the star of that story. Come on, somebody. Amen. And it is a spiritual book. You say, Pastor Brown, it's a physical book. Yes, it is. It's written on paper. It's folded up between two pieces of leather. But at the same time, it is more alive than you are today. Because one day you and I will fold up and our garments will be laid aside. But I'm telling you, the Word of God shall endure forever. And it holds to us the mysteries of life. I know we can have great discoveries. And technology has advanced far uh, greater than what the world has ever even thought possible. A hundred years ago, men could not, if they could have looked into the future, they could not have contemplated the technological advances that we have available to us today. But let me tell you, technology is not the greatest uh, and the most uh, precious gift that God's given to man, but the Word of God is. The Word of God holds the answers not only to our lives now, but to our lives in the future. Come on, somebody. And so I'm grateful for it. I'm glad to be able to study it and read it, ponder it, pray over it, meditate upon it, look at it, turn in the script, to try to identify with it, put myself into the context of it, take myself out of the context, whatever that might be, just because I, the Word of God produces life on the inside of me. It satisfies that craving desire in my communion with God, and it teaches me and admonishes me and instructs me. And I love what the Apostle Paul would write in Romans chapter number 15, I believe it's the fourth verse when he said the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning upon whom the ends of the world have come. So the apostle Paul who wrote by divine revelation 
The inspiration of the Holy Spirit is looking back into the Old Covenant. And he's saying the things that would have been written from beginning with Moses all the way through the prophets, down through the Psalms and to the minor prophets, those things were written for our learning. For our learning so that we, whatever season of life we're in, whatever challenges we're going through, I can promise you there's an answer in the Word of God. I can promise you there's something that if you'll search diligently and deeply, and if you'll be intentional in your pursuit after God, God will give you a word. God will give you a word. I'm telling you, a word from God can change your life. It can. A revelation of who God is. And I, I want to talk to you just a little bit about this, the yoke, for just a moment today. The yoke and the historical application of the yoke. And the yoke that is being referenced here is actually the literal application of a wooden instrument that was used to bind animals together in plowing or pulling. And I think Elijah is going to put us a picture on the screen here in just a moment of time somewhere. It will appear and there it is going to be. And you are familiar with this, just two yoke of oxen. Now today we don't plow in America this way very often. Unless you've been up to the Amish country or something, you might find some there. Most of the people in today's world use tractors. But uh, this, as we look here back, we see two yokes of oxen or or a yoke of oxen, two oxen that are yoked together to pull the plow in tillage of the field. You're familiar with this. This is not an instrument that you're unfamiliar with. The cultures have used this for many hundreds of years. And certainly in in, uh, third world countries, they would continue to be used where there is the lack of modern machinery. But what we're doing today is we're looking at this natural example for a spiritual principle. We're trying to make application out of it. When you go in the Word of God, you'll find that yoke is typically used of bondage in the Word of God. You'll find it most often. Now, there is one familiar passage of Scripture that's used in a positive note, and that is Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But that's about the only positive application of a yoke that we find in the Word of God because typically yokes are applied to burdens or hardships or heavy bondages and even slavery. Let me give you an example. The Bible says in 1 Kings, the king answered the people roughly and he said and he forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him. And they spake to them after the counsel of the young men. And they said these words, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. I will add to your yoke. So whenever Israel was in bondage to another nation, it was often described as a yoke. Because a yoke would put a heavy weight upon you. And you might be plowing in a field that you didn't own. And you might be gaining resources through the agricultural produce that is produced and but you're not selling it for your personal gain but you're selling it for the gain of someone else and so a yoke will take you where you often don't want to go and it may prevent you from going where you need to go and so let me just take a moment to connect it to us here today a lot of times even in the kingdom of God men and women that are genuinely born again still find themselves under certain bondages still found themselves struggling with things that were of the old nature. They're still being brought under subjection. Many of God's people, I wrote it this way, are bound to addictions, bound to attitudes, bound to patterns of unholy living. I know a lot of people that have a desire to do good. They want to do good. They want to walk in righteousness, but they still find themselves caring about 
a heavy weight on their shoulders. Sometimes we're bound to relationships that are not healthy for us. We're, we're, people control us and manipulate us and, and lead us in a certain directions. Some people do well all by themselves, but they get in the wrong crowd, and that influence falls upon them, and then they find themselves being pulled in a direction that they don't necessarily want to go. I wrote down the failure mindsets, mindsets that create unbelief, mindsets that, that uh, woe is me. I tell you what, there's a lot of that going on in our culture today. We're uh, almost like the chicken. We believe the sky is falling. We're not seeing a brighter day. We're just bound to the sorrow and mindset. In the kingdom of God, we talk a lot about oppression and depression. A lot of things. This is just a small list that I accumulated here together today. But you could make this own list in your own mind of men and women that we know that oftentimes have a pure motive. They're wanting to do the right thing. They're trying to do the right thing. But as they do so, they find themselves still bound to something that related to their past. They profess Jesus a Savior. They may have been even watered baptized, and they're trying to follow God, and they're trying to go in the direction that He wants them to go, but they find themselves being turned in another direction because they're still yoked to some things that God wants them to be free of. But I want you to know today, I believe a brighter day is coming. I'm not a negative preacher. I came along to tell you today that we're going to find out that there is an anointing that destroys the yoke. There's an anointing that will break the yoke and set the captive free and put you in the direction that God wants you to go. Come on, somebody. And so a yoke can be destroyed. We know that. But when you read the biblical narrative, uh, then we see many times that yokes uh, often were destroyed by outside assistance. Let me give you an example of this. Many times you find the term yoke applied in Scripture in the Old Testament. It's associated with Israel. It's associated oftentimes with their own struggle and plight. And many times another nation would bring them in bondage. We're familiar with Egyptian captivity. The scripture says in Leviticus 26, the Lord said, I am the Lord God which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their bondmen. I have broken the bands of your yoke. So when they were in captivity, it was defined as a yoke. In Jeremiah, it was a false prophecy by Hananiah recorded by the prophet Jeremiah. Actually, God had told the prophet Jeremiah to take a yoke and put it over his shoulder and prophesy to the people. Hananiah believed that he had a word from God. He didn't have a word from God. He had a, a false prophecy. And he came and he took the yoke that was off of Jeremiah, on Jeremiah's shoulders and he broke it. And he prophesied falsely and he said that the Lord God would break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And Ezekiel 34 talks about bands of yokes that are broken. So you and I, we do believe that yokes can be broken. We do believe that. But often what I've discerned is that in the kingdom of God, we want somebody else to break us free. We want somebody to come, a doctor to break the yoke of sickness. We want the counselor to break the yoke of our oppression. We want somebody like a pastor to take the, the yoke of life and lifestyle choices that we've made and put it all right in a counseling moment. We call the prayer chain to break the yoke off of our lives. We want a pill. We want a book. We want a study guide. We want a lesson. We want a television program. But the Bible doesn't promise any of that to break 
break the yoke. But the Bible does say there's an anointing from God that will break the yoke and that will set the captive free. But we've got to find a way to tap into that anointing. We know it's possible. We believe in it. We trust in it. But the key is, is how do we agitate it? How do we get it? Where's it at? Where's it available? We know that with God, all things are possible to him that will believe. But how do I put myself in a first-person place where I'm not just believing for something, but I'm receiving something, uh, and it's being manifested in my life? That's what we've got to find. The Bible says that there is an anointing that breaks the yoke. This passage in Scripture that gives us the title of our message is very unique. I've done a study on it uh, several times, and I've always been intrigued by it. I've found a, 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 a revelation from God connected to it. In Isaiah chapter number 10, from which we get the title of the message, the yoke that's being referenced by Isaiah is the yoke of the Assyrians. The Assyrian people have plagued the people of Israel. And as a result, that's being alluded to, the bondage is alluded to a yoke. There's a promise that that yoke will be destroyed, but it will be destroyed by the anointing. It's very unique in the Scripture. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar or a Greek scholar. I'm not very good at Eng with English at times. But nonetheless, I can do some word searches, and I can study, and I can pray, and I can look up some things, and I can gain certain insights. And what I found in this study, and this study came to me several years ago, that I found that the word anointing there many times is translated in the Word of God as oil. Now, it's a translated anointing in this one instance here in the King James. But the majority of time that this Hebrew word is translated, it's translated oil. Sometimes it's ointment. But in the normal capacity, it's oil. And so scholars have, have been divided on the application because they're trying to find a way that the yoke can be broken by some type of fluid, liquid, oil, olive oil. And so they've struggled to make application. As a matter of fact, one of the famous of all commentaries, Barnes Notes and Commentary, written around the uh, uh, mid-1800s, here's what he said. He said no, he listed off numerous explanations made by the learned men of his generation. And he said this, he culminated in his commentary, none of these explanations seems to me to be satisfactory and that I do not know what the meaning of the expression is. So the commentaries, are, are, they're, they're, they're divided on what is the application. But I remember one day I was looking at this, and I began to study it out just a little bit deeper. And I said, now, God, what are you saying to us? And, and there's an order in Scripture. There's a rule of interpretation that you sometimes you let the text, uh, uh, you let the context uh, develop, and you let the text de define the word. And then you search and see how the word is used in other passages, and you come away, and you try to make application. And so that word there in the, uh, in the Scripture is shaman. And it means olive, and it means ointment, and it means fruitful. But it comes, uh, it comes from a root word that means to make fat. And so we're going to try to connect that if we can for just a moment. Because in the Hebrew, fatness doesn't mean what it means in our culture today. Such as perhaps being overweight or something of that nature. Fatness in this particular culture meant healthy and full. 
It meant strong. Let me give you an example. The Bible says that they took strong cities and fat lands, and they possessed houses full of all goods, wells, digs, and vineyards, and olive yards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat, and they were filled, and they became fat, and they delighted themselves in thy great goodness. Let me go a little bit farther. Psalm 92 and 14. This is all of us that are what we call aging here today. It says they shall still bring forth fruit in old age Psalm 90 listen to this they shall still bring forth fruit in old age they shall be fat and flourishing oh that's a great place to say amen right there you missed that he's saying here that even as you age the apostle Paul said the outward man can perish but the inward man can be renewed day by day and the Bible says that though I'm aging he said I'm still fat and flourishing what does he mean I'm healthy I'm strong I'm committed to God there's a work on the inside of me God's doing something in my life Proverbs 28 and 25 says he that is of a proud heart will stir up strife but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat so let me go and see if I can develop this thought with you for just a moment if you take the time to look this passage up and to see what type of analogy that God was using to teach the children of Israel that the yoke of a bondage would be broken off of them he said that the yoke would be destroyed by the anointing and so if you put the context together and you see the oxen yoked together and you see the oxen under the weight of the yoke God said I'm going to take that oxen and that oxen's going to become so fat he's going to become so strong that it's not going to take an outside force to break the yoke off of his neck but the oxen is going to grow and he's going to begin to shake himself that's why Deuteronomy said that his neck would grow thick and as he does so he'll get strong and when he gets strong he's going to begin to bow up underneath the weight of that yoke and no outside army God didn't say I'm going to have to bring the Egyptians from the south to drive away the Assyrians from the north. He say, I'm going to have to bring the Babylonians down to drive away the Assyrians. But what God said was that, that I'm going to cause you to dwell in a fat pasture. I'm going to cause you to eat until you're strong. And when you get strong, you're going to rise up. And when you rise up, you're going to break off that yoke that's on your shoulder. And God said, that's the anointing that will destroy the yoke. Come on, somebody. That's a powerful word for us right there. And so as the oxen would graze in a fat pasture, his strength would grow, his fatness would grow, and the anointing of God in his life would grow. And then as he got strong, he would break the yoke off of his neck. Let me tell you what's going on in the body of Christ today. The body of Christ, we have many in the Pentecostal movement today. We always want somebody to get an anointing on their life to break the yoke off of us in our life. And I know that the body of Christ is uniquely woven together. And yes, we do pray for anointings on our life. But let me tell you, there are two types of an anointing. An anointing is what we and I are familiar with to be rubbed upon by oil, special endowments and giftings of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God can come upon you and the Spirit of God comes upon you you can do things that you could not ordinarily do by yourself David said I can by my God I can run through a troop and by my God I can leap up over a wall 
See, by myself, I can't get on the platform and preach to you today. But when the anointing of God comes upon me, then I can do things that are outside of my normal character, my normal personal giftings. It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God. I thank God what Paul said. He said, it is God that hath anointed us. When we think about anointing, we think about priests. We think about pouring the oil on their head. One of the most familiar passages is in Acts chapter number 10, verse number 38. The Bible says how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. And so you and I begin to recognize and we see an external anointing rest on somebody else. And we're hoping and praying that somebody will come alongside. We're in sickness. We're praying that somebody will get anointed and come and minister to us the gift of healing. We're in depression and sitting in darkness. We're praying that God will anoint somebody and he'll send them our way to lead us into life. And I understand that. I'm not against that type of anointing. But let me say, there's an outward anointing, but there's also an inward anointing. There's an anointing that abides on the inside of you. There's an anointing that when you got saved, the Spirit of God joined to your spirit and declared you to be a child of God. You say, Pastor Brown, I hadn't spoken to I'm not concerned about whether you've spoken in tongues or not. I'm trying to tell you today that if the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then there's an anointing that abides on the inside of you. The Spirit of God is on the inside of you. And the Spirit of God is yearning within you to mortify the ungodly deeds of your body, to set you free so that you can go forth and be the person that God's called you to be. And so when I began to think about that and I began to make association and I began to think about the body of Christ and where we see men and women and our frustrations and our exasperations and the challenges that we're going through and our dependency upon other people. And that's why we go from revival to revival to revival because we're trying to get in an atmosphere where somebody else has got an anointing upon them that can help us in our plight. But maybe we're missing something here. Maybe Maybe we need to be like the ox. Maybe we need to feast in a fat pasture. Maybe we need to feast in a fat pasture until we hear the word of God. And I want you to know that I believe in doctrine. I believe in teaching. I don't believe in playing games with you. I don't believe in pacifying you. I don't believe in telling you everything's all right when it ain't all right. I don't believe in going through the church games. Let me tell you, a lot of people are running to and fro here and there, and what they need to be is on their face before God. There are some things you can't get any other way than just laying before God and waiting on the Lord and hiding the good word of God. No, I'm not a theologian, and you don't have to be a theologian either, but you can lock yourself in a closet somewhere, and you can pray over the word of God, and you can say, God, give me a revelation. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 4, Paul said, when you read, I pray that you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ and when you begin to understand Paul's revelation in the knowledge of Christ changes begin to work inside of you changes begin to work and you begin to find something growing on the inside of you what is that growing it's called the anointing 
And all of a sudden, you start hearing the sound of snapping in your life. And you find yourself going through changes. And you don't know where they're coming. They're coming because the anointing is rising up on the inside of you. And then all of a sudden, you think, well, maybe I need to call the prayer chain to pray me through this situation that I'm going through right now. And then you think, well, wait just a minute. Maybe I need to go and just get alone and lock myself up with God and feast in the fat pasture for just a little while longer. Maybe I need to just shut myself up in with God. I'm tired of acting this way. I'm tired of talking this way. I'm tired of this addiction being in my body. I'm tired of being dependent upon this drug. I'm tired of being dependent upon this alcohol. I'm tired of everybody praying for me and I'm still in bondage. Maybe it's because you hadn't locked yourself up alone and grown fat in God. Because when you grow fat in God, something rises up on the inside of you. Something begins to bow. Something begins to flex. And you begin to strain. And all of a sudden, there will come a day, a wonderful holy day in your life when the bondages that have been laid upon you will be broken by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you. To God be the glory. There is an outward anointing, but there's an inward anointing. And you know what we've done? We have made merchandise of the outward anointing. We've got evangelists, and we've got all these great mass services, and people will wait hour after hour in line for somebody to come along and take some anointing oil and dabble it on their head and push them over and blow them down. But I'm going to tell you today, I'm not against that anointing, but I'm telling you there's a greater anointing that's on the inside of every one of God's people. But we're not nursing it, nourishing it. We're not allowing it to grow to the place where we rise up and we become the people that God's called us to be. We put so much expectation on spiritual gifts and callings so we don't know how to pray ourselves through to a place of victory in our own life. I will say one thing about the old timers of days gone by. Nobody here is alive that's called an old timer anymore. Let me just tell you, they're already dead and buried. But the old timers of old that I've read about would say these words. They would say, you got to pray through. What we do is get through praying. But they would pray through. What does that mean? They would get alone with God, and they would lock hold, as the old adage is, of the horns of the altar. They would be determined in their prayer. I'll tell you what, they would learn to shake themselves. Where does that come from? The Bible says that Samson... When Delilah was trying to weave his hair into the beams and things like that through the seduction, the Bible says that Samson would just shake himself. And I'll tell you what, if you'll get alone with God in prayer and stay on your face before God and agitate the anointing on your own life and stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you, then you can rise up and you can shake yourself and the thing that used to hold you in bondage can't hold you in bondage anymore. And it's not because an evangelist came to you and laid hands on you, but it's because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you, and He will quicken your mortal body. And you say, Pastor, that's what Paul said. Well, what did John say? John said that we have an anointing that abides on the inside of us. 
He said, you have an unction from the Holy One. There's a lot of seduction trying to lead us into snares. But when you got the anointing of God upon your life, there's no snare that can hold you. There's no yoke that can restrain you. The power of God can break every yoke, and God's people can go free. But the error of the church is we want to build ourselves up as pastors by creating prayer line after prayer line after prayer line. And we somehow think that that's making spiritual uh, giants in the kingdom. No, we're making spiritual addicts in the kingdom. They gave up drugs only to uh, get addicted to somebody else praying for them. And I want to tell you today as a pastor, I don't believe in that. I believe in teaching you how to pray so that you can get along with God and you can get the anointing stirred up in your heart and you don't have to make that. That call to somebody else at 11 o'clock at night because you can walk through your own house when demons are troubling you and bondages are coming about and you can rise in the power of the Spirit of God and you can break the yoke. You can break the yoke. Why? Because the same Spirit. I know I'm preaching myself happy in here today. I'm okay with that. I love to see just like the tear went down my eye when I saw my son on the lawnmower. When I see you learning to grow in the grace of God, adding to your faith virtue and to virtue, come on somebody, knowledge. And as you begin to grow in the grace of God and you rise up and become the person that God's called you to be, then I thank God for the power of His Holy Spirit because He's working on the inside of you. Paul the Apostle said in Ephesians chapter number 3, as we read that, he said that there is nothing beyond the ability of God. Did y'all hear that today? There's nothing beyond the scope of God's power. Is there? Is there anything limited to God? Absolutely not. Apostle Paul said, your ability to think is limited, but God is not limited. Your ability to ask is limited, but God is not limited. But he said, the moment that you reach the place where you think I've asked as much as I can, as fullest as I can, God said, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to what according to the power that is at work inside you the apostle said i'm praying to god that you will be strengthened with might by his spirit where where church family in the inner man and when the inner man gets strong the bondage has got to go when the inner man gets strong and you start knowing who you are in Christ. See, I believe my job as a pastor is to cause you to feed in a fat pasture. And the fat pasture, not some of the sermons that you get off of sermon.com in our generation where we give you three steps to self-help. But I believe fat pastors deal with justification, righteousness, sanctification, where I tell you about the cross, where I tell you about the blood of Jesus, where I tell you about a Savior that, bail, that, that pillowed his head on a cross called Calvary and gave up the ghost so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. And you become infatuated with Jesus. And the moment that you start going to the Word of God, not to see you, but to to see him the moment that you start studying the word of God not to see your great gains or your faults but the moment that you start going to the word of God because you say I want to see Jesus Lord show me Jesus in a Passover lamb show me Jesus God in every area in a Levitical priest or an Aaronic priesthood God show me Jesus in the strength of Samson or the wisdom of Solomon show me Jesus in the in the leadership of Nehemiah and in the in the patriarch Abraham show me Jesus and when I begin to see Jesus a work miraculous how does it happen Pastor? I can't explain it 
You can't find this in on the computer somewhere and explain it. I'm just trying to tell you today that the Spirit of God is alive. He dwells on the inside of you. He's built up when you pray and when you think and meditate upon the Word of God. And all of a sudden, when you begin to fast and cut away the carnality of your own life, the power inside you becomes greater than the restraining force on the outside of you. And when that happens, the yoke's got to go because you're going to go free to the glory of God. And then you can begin to pray for God to anoint you to go bless somebody else. Would y'all stand up with me here today as Daryl comes to the platform with me today? The anointing shall be destroyed because of what? But come on, somebody. Don't start shutting me down because I said we're going to wrap up. I'm wrapping up my preaching. But I'm not wrapping up what God's doing. Come on now. Come on. Don't you want to see yourself and your family?